I wasn't going to mention this, but uh, it just kept rolling through my mind this morning. I believe the Holy Spirit was reminding me. Better say something about that. So almost uh, over six weeks ago, I was down by the lake, got the stump, and I was turned, and the stump was below my legs. And I tried to pick, you know, Superman. Tried to pick it up, and uh, my back just went, something went big time. So I crawled back to the gator and got back to the house, and I continued doing a few things, but it just got worse. And uh, I went to the chiropractor, and those treatments got worse and worse. I finally almost screamed to get off the table. And he was doing the best he could. And then we started talking about an MRI. You know, there's possible surgery because the way this is, this looks like this, this, and this. And uh, so I was going to line up for uh, uh, an MRI. I called the VA, and uh, they said, well, well, we'll give you a call. We'll line you up with a certain gal. In the meantime, the following Sunday, uh, I was over here, and I could not stand. In fact, I wasn't going to come to church, but I, I could not stand uh, for any songs. So uh, Brita and Jaron and I think Ryan and Jackson and uh, Shauna came over and prayed for me. And I didn't feel anything right away, but that afternoon I did. I just started getting better. And by the time the VA called, I was feeling pretty good. And they said, well, maybe you don't need an MRI. Maybe you just, how about some therapy? I said, yeah, I, I'm over for that. I'm good, you know. So I've been going to therapy, and they do a wonderful job. But I, I just it just kept getting better and better. Today is the first day that I could stand through the whole song service. So I'm good for about a two-hour message today. So, but I, I just wanted to share that. You know, if, you, if testimonies should always be shared, they really should. And just the graciousness of God and the healing, and and I just just thank Him for that. Well, today we're going to talk about redemption. And uh, when Mike and I talked about me taking the, this uh, service on the 16th, actually that's when my back was hurt, and I was thinking, am I really going to be well enough to do that? But bless God, I am. But anyway, I thought about I thought about redemption all the way from creation, and so we're going to go through that. We're going to cover that this morning: creation to the cross, and the word redemption, the word redeem, means to buy back something that's of value, and whatever it takes to buy that back, you have paid the price, and you have redeem that person or persons. So that's what we're going to talk about. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you. You are the Redeemer, among many other things. But Lord, we want to see this morning what you did, and we want to appreciate it even more. We want to go into the depths a little bit deeper of what you did, Lord, and how we can, how we can apply that every day, how, where we came from and where we're at now, Lord. So we thank you, Lord. We praise you. We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen. The kind of a text I'm going to use today is Colossians 1.13. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us to the kingdom of the Son of his love. And that's what he's already done for us. You know, a lot of times creation, uh, people wonder, why, why was the world even created? Why, you know, what, what's, what's this creation thing all about? Well, you know, Actually, the universe was created for the earth. And the earth was created for man. So he did this for us. He made all this for us. 
The father heart of God wanted a family. Just like we want families. We want children. And, you know, he's been accused many times of why did he make man when he knew of all the problems he would have, of all the death, disease, hurt, of all the things that comes on mankind, the tragedies, the wars, the genocide, things like that. How could he be that cruel? Well, you know, we just got to look at ourselves. Why do we have our kids? Why do I have our children? We know they're going to get hurt. They're going to get bullied. They're going to get sick. And, of course, they're going to die. Because we want families. We want children. We want to produce. He's the same way. He's just like us. We're just like him. But he has provided a way to take away all the pain and the hurt and destruction. Genesis 1.26 says, And then God said, Let us make man in our image. Notice the plural there. The Trinity was already there. According to our likeness. And let them have a dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. Psalm 8, 3 through 9 says, And when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of, <clears throat> and the son, uh, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than God, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands, and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And also Genesis 2, 7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of God, and man became a living being. And we can see the crowning glory of man being made. And when God breathed into Adam, can you imagine God breathing into us, into a man. That's got to be a good breath, the breath of God. When he did that, that was the breath of life. That was the breath of all substance from heaven into a man. Amazing. And Adam was perfect. Adam was holy. Adam was an absolutely perfect man. Adam and Eve had an absolute perfect relationship with God. It was on the finest, finest level of relationship. And then comes what we call the tragedy or high treason. They only had one command. That command we see in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. You know, that would mean the tree of life also. Remember the tree of life? They could have ate off of that. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. They had not lived in any evil. Evil was not a part of their lives at that time. But the Hebrew word says, you shall surely die. That Hebrew word means double die. Double death, die twice. In other words, Young's literal says, in dying, thou shalt die. What that means is there is a physical death, 
and there's a spiritual death. Pastor Mike shared this weeks ago. We've seen how long Adam lived, but his spirit, that man's spirit died. The communication with God died. He was back now to only his sense knowledge. He did not have the revelation knowledge to communicate with God anymore. And so his spirit died. He died physically, and he died spiritually. And the result of this treason, the result of being deceived by Satan, went into this deep, deep tragedy and was actually treason. Treason, what treason is, is if you can take, and I like to use marriage for this, in marriage you have a covenant. We love each other. Whatever comes our way, we're going to back one another up. If you fall, I pick you up, vice versa. It's a communion. It's a united one being together. And if one of them separates themselves and does something harmful to the other one, that would be treason. You have broken a covenant. You have broken a perfect union by whatever whatever you did to break that covenant. And this is exactly what happened between God and with Adam and Eve. High treason. <clears throat> the result of that, God had made a, this statement. He said in Genesis 3.15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The enmity that between Satan and the woman, we see to this very day. We see how women have been treated throughout the centuries. We see women being raped, abused, ungodly submission, multiple wives taken advantage of. You know, at one time, women couldn't even vote. That was for the men folks. And even in church, way, way back, they used to sit in the balcony. The women would sit, all the churches back then, just about all of them had balconies. And the women sat up in the balcony. The men got down in the bottom because they didn't have an amplification system. And that way, the word could be heard by the men. So there, it, didn't, it wouldn't be too crowded if there was women down there. But the men had to hear it. The women, it didn't make any difference because, hey, they're up there. They were taking care of kids, and they better be thinking about getting dinner ready after church. So, I mean, you, you can see the abuse of women throughout the ages in sports. Even in my lifetime, as young as I am, uh, you know, there was no sports, organized sports to speak of when I was in school. Well, look at now. We've got, we're, we're you know, so things are getting brought up. But you can see, my point is you can see the enmity between Satan and the woman, how women have been abused throughout the centuries. But I want to point out that right now women are joint heirs with Christ. That's not that way anymore. Not in Christianity. Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to women. Amen? Treated women equally with men. Amen. And we talk about Satan's seed and also woman's seed. What came out of Satan's seed? <clears throat> Satan's seed is, it, it, he works on human beings. 
if he can get them to follow his ways and be like him, unruly, rebellious, God-haters, hating good, loving evil, murderers, thieves, immoral, etc., etc. That would be the seed of Satan. When man fell, his spirit was corrupt. Spiritual death. But from the woman's seed came Jesus. So you can see the difference. What, what the uh, huge opposites we have here. And also the Lord told Satan, he says, your head is going to be crushed. And what he meant by that is he meant the, the headship or the rulership. He was going to obliterate Satan's rulership. One day he was going to do that, and he was going to overcome any satanic headship. So he was going to crush. Actually, some translations say bruise, but crush is better. Crush, that word means overpower, totally dominate, and totally destroy the headship of Satan. As far as the church, he said he's going to crush his heel. That means the walk of the church. Heel meaning part of our body that does the walking. It's going to crush his heel. What is meant by that is the walk of the church, the antagonization there will be against Satan's people, if you will, and the church of God, and the church of Jesus Christ. The church has always been under attack. Always. Always. Even Paul called it a thorn in his flesh, a messenger from Satan. He asked God to get him off my back. The Lord said, no, we'll get this handled. My grace is sufficient for you. Everywhere that Paul went in his flesh, everywhere he walked, they either threw him out of town, ran him out of town, stoned him, killed him. I believe one time he actually died. If we check the search of scriptures, we'll see that. But came to, the next day he was out preaching again. They stoned him. I don't know. If you get hit with a stone, how about a whole bunch of stones, and they're probably all about that big? And you're preaching the next day. Amazing. So the church has always been under attack. Having found that man was invested with such far-reaching authority that he possessed an intellect of such a great caliber as to be the companion of Christ, or the companion of deity, the companion of God, and that he had in his hands the joy or sorrows of God. And we can understand now the nature of the sin he committed. The sin of Adam was the crime of high treason. God had conferred upon him the authority to rule the universe, and this universe-wide dominion was the most sacred heritage that God could give to man. Genesis 1, 28 and Psalm 8 and 6, which we read, Adam turned this legal dominion over into the hands of God's enemy, Satan. This is an unpardonable action. High treason has always been considered that in all ages. Adam's transgression was done in the white light of absolute knowledge. He was not deceived by Satan. He understood the steps that led to the crime. His wife Eve was deceived. But Adam became the Benedict Arnold of eternity. After the fall, after the tragedy, now, has, uh, now Satan has dominated over the creation. Death, disease, decay, destruction. That includes weather. You know, the earth groans. The earth is still cursed. Thorns, weeds, thistles, animal behavior, war, violence, hatred, 
are now, are now the normal pattern of life. Man has entered into spiritual death. Now, spiritual death, we speak of spiritual death. Spiritual death doesn't mean that your spirit dies, but your spirit does die in communication with God. You no longer have that revelation to communicate with him. And again, I want to use like marriage. You know, you can have a marriage, and again, you're one, you trust one another, and the the other partner falls away. You can say you're still married, but your marriage is dead. And that really kind of is an example of what it means to be spiritually dead. It's like spiritual corruption. There is now a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light that man has to deal with. I'm going to paraphrase this, but in Luke uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that was under the time Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and he, he was tempted by Satan. And Satan basically said to me, said to him, he said, he took him on a high place, and in a moment of time, the Bible says, in a moment of time, he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And I always think that's interesting, in a moment of time. Things happen spiritually that we don't quite understand here in the natural, but in a moment of time, does that mean all kingdoms, past, present, and future? I don't know, but it, that's what the Bible says, in a moment of time. And he says... This has all been given to me, and I can give it to whoever I want to give it to. You see the dominion thing here? Now, if he was lying, I believe the incarnate Christ would have known that's a lie. But if it was, and if it was a lie, it wasn't a true temptation. But if it was true, he said quite a statement there. I can give it to anyone I wanted to. Satan said, when he said, it's been delivered unto me. Now, we know that this authority was not given to Satan by God. The Father God was never, ever confer this to his enemy. The Father God has too much love to give his creation over to someone like that. Satan tempted man in the garden because of his bitter hatred toward God. Knowing what man meant to the Father God, it became his object to separate this union and bring humanity under bondage to himself and destruction. He knew this would cause the Father God the greatest suffering. Yet Satan, in his malignant character, could not foresee that God would suffer by his own will for this man until he brought him back to himself. The sufferings of Calvary reveal the triumph of God by love over his enemy, Satan. Christ did not yield to this temptation. Love conquered and triumphed over Satan. I don't think, I think Scripture proves that, that Satan knew that Christ crucified would be resurrected again. I love to think about that Easter morning when he's out of the tomb. I would have loved to have a little video camera in hell and see them scrambling from one to another, one end to the other, and said, he is back. He's alive. We thought we had him. But this is what our Heavenly Father did. So in this situation that man is in right now, he needs a mediator. He needs a mediator, and man right now has three great needs. He needs eternal life. 
We, we have been so used to death. Death is so horrible. We should be living forever. But because of the fall, our bodies die. But death should never be. And we live our lives, we, uh, we plan, and, and we achieve things. And how many times have you heard of somebody worked hard for their business and they had a lot of employees and he retired and the next day he died? Or, or, we, or we see a young child die. We see babies die. That's terrible. It's just, it's awful. We need to live longer. We need to live forever. That's, that's in our very, that's in our very heart. We, we, we think about that and say, why, why did that, why does anything die? Why does it have to happen that way? So we needed eternal life. We needed righteousness. We needed a right standing with God again. We need to be able to talk to Him. We need to be able to be approved by Him. We need to have fellowship with Him. We need to have Him as a friend. We need to have Him as someone that's always with me. We need that again. But we need someone, we need a mediator now. We need someone that can go to Him, approach Him, explain our situation, and be someone that could rectify this horrible, horrible thing that happened through the tragedy of the fall. Well, the requirements of the mediator. Well, he must be a man, for he must represent humanity. So he must be a man like us. God has looked throughout the ages for a man. Who? Who, who would it be? We can't find anybody. All have come short of the glory of God. When Adam died, in Romans chapter 5, I think verse 12, it says, when Adam died, all died. Everybody was connected to that. Everybody. There's no one. But we have to have a man someplace. And he must possess the capacity to understand and sympathize with the temptations of man. Number three, he must also possess a standing of righteousness with deity, with God. And he must not be a subject of Satan. Who is this? Every, every one of us have fallen short. He must be free from all satanic authority. These requirements can only be met by the union of God and man in one individual. And now we look at the incarnation, the only way this is going to come about. The incarnation of deity with humanity will provide a substitute of deity and humanity unified on such grounds that the incarnate one can stand as man's mediator, being equal with God on the one hand and united with man on the other. He will be able to bring the two together. Again, being deity and humanity united, he will be able to assume the obligations of human treason and satisfy the claims of justice and thereby bridge the chasm between God and man. All throughout civilization, this has been the desire of man is if we can get somehow this person that can be united in one. And we see in, in uh, Greek mythology, we see in, in, in Roman, uh, I'll call it religion, they had these man-gods, you know, half man, half God. 
Uh, they, they were ruled over, the, they, made, they made these, these uh, uh, hierarchy, and they, they made them up here where they were uh, high and mighty, but yet they could connect and be a part man also. Well, they had to make us up because it was in their heart. But actually, God was really, really doing a better job than that. First of all, how do we get this to happen? How do we get a man to be righteous that can stand before God and go before as our mediator? Well, he needed a virgin. You know the story. A virgin has to be the receptacle of the seed. We see that during a pregnancy, the blood doesn't pass through uh, boy, I'm getting really technical here. I better watch myself. But uh, the baby's on its own. So through the virgin and the Holy Spirit over, overpowering and speaking into impregnating Mary, now we have a human being being formed. And he went through a nine-month gestation period, just like all of us. And now we have something working here. The fact that it was possible for deity and humanity to become united in one individual for eternity reveals the place the first man held in the plan of Father God. He had created man in his own image, just a shade lower than himself, Man had been created so nearly like God that it was possible for God and man to become united eternally in one individual. And it was possible that God and man become united. God can dwell in these human bodies of ours. God can impart his life and nature into our spirits and dwell in our human hearts. That's what we're experiencing right now, into our human bodies. If Jesus was an incarnation, then immortality is a fact. If we receive eternal life for our spirits, we have positive assurance that our bodies will become immortal at the return of the Lord Jesus. If the incarnation if the incarnation is a fact, Christianity is supernatural. Every man who has been born again is an incarnation. The believer is as much an incarnation as Jesus of Nazareth. God can now eradicate spiritual death from the spirit of man and give man his life. Because the claims of justice have been met in Christ, we cannot conceive of anyone's desiring to doubt the incarnation. It is the only answer to the cry of the human heart for God. It is the only solution to the human problems of sin, suffering, disease, and death. The incarnation proves the preexistence of Christ as the foundation and reason for all subsequent miraculous manifestations of divine power. The incarnation is the basic miracle of Christianity. So now we have that mediator. We understand that God did become a true man. Scripture is very plain throughout about him being a flesh and blood man. We see at the cross, when they stuck spear in his side, out came blood and water. That wouldn't come out of a spirit. That would come out of a real man, a real natural man. So what really happened at the cross? Second Corinthians 
We know now that our mediator had to go to the cross. What really happened? Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that he might be made the righteousness of God in him. Well, he became what sinful man was. He became what we were, sinful men. And he embodied all sin, past, present, and future. It has to be past, present, and future because he's not going to the cross again. He's only went one time, and one time is sufficient. Now, the power of sin is broken. How is that? You ever think about how is the power of sin broken? We still see sin in the world, but how is the power of sin broken? We still see sin, but the power of sin is broken. Remember the charge in the garden in Genesis 2.17? That's when he told Adam and Eve, you shall surely die. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. Same thing. That is, it is just as if Jesus was standing there and God was talking to him. He represented us to that last detail. He took every sin. He even took that one right back at the garden. The power of sin. Satan, sin took its full, full vengeance on him when he died. Now, he died taking all the sin of the world. And the power of sin died with him. Full punishment. The wrath of God against sin was so violent that he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Think about that. Think of what, ha- what, think what was happening to his mental faculties when he said that. He knew. He, he knew the Father. They had perfect relationship. Why did he cry? Why did he say that? If he was just going to die a, a hard physical death, he knew that was going to come over. But th- th- this was so real. To, why have you forsaken me? He went to a place. He, he was at a, a, a place where I can't get back. There's no coming back. I'm getting a full punishment. I'm taking it all. Amazing. I mean, amazing the violence of the cup of wrath. Now, a few years ago, <clears throat> there was a lady uh, living in Ballanton here. Her name was Eleanor Myrie. And Eleanor, Eleanor was a sweet lady. I, I always enjoyed talking to her. And um, She was a Christian woman. She went to St. Peter's uh, Lutheran Church. And uh, once she passed away, uh, cancer took her life. And uh, in her obituary, you know, that was saying she's with her Lord and Savior now. And But there was a statement there that said, the cancer is dead. And I thought, that's cool. The cancer is dead. It can't inflict anybody anymore. That cancer is not going to be transferred to another person. That cancer died when she died. When Jesus took our punishment, and he took it to the full course of where it had to go, it died. It died with Jesus. The power is broken. We now have a full payment. Romans 6, 4 through 9 says, Therefore we were buried with him 
through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. Pastor Mike calls himself the crying pastor. Must pass it on to me. Must be this pulpit. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we will also be. In the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we should also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. He's not going to die again, and you're not going to die again. You're going to, your physical body is going to die, but you'll not die the second death because you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a second death, and that death is for those that do not accept and receive him as Lord and Savior. They could have, but they won't. That its second death is the lake of fire. Redemption now has been accomplished. <clears throat> death, burial, resurrection, glorified. That's what he done. Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We're going to go right back to our original scripture. For he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son that he loves, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We are now born anew. We now can be born again. How do we get born again? Very simply, by believing. He who believes has been born of God. In Adam, we had no choice. Adam put us in the place that we were. But in Christ, we do have a choice. We have a choice to receive him. John 1.12 says, For as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. I pray that we understand this, greater Lord, how magnificent this is, how love reached through the eons of time and all the marvelous things you made, it came right down to the heart of man. And you made him into what he was in the beginning, right with you, fellowshipping with you, living with your Holy Spirit in him. Lord, we glorify you for this. We thank you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.